Welcome back to the Joseph Cox Show. In advance, sorry about all the background noise. I'm outdoors, I'm not at home, and there's a lot going on here. I'm going to start this week with a speech I've had the honor of delivering at my synagogue last night, my first live speech in quite a while. For those reading this, I've recorded it, and for those listening, I've written it down. I will discuss some other aspects of the Parsha after the speech. In Brachot, the Gemara says that Sarat in Babel, in Babylon, was an affliction of love, while in Israel it was not. If you grew up imagining that Sarat, which we translate as leprosy, was some miracle affliction that only struck in the ancient land of Israel, the Gemara clearly dispels that notion. People suffered from Sarat in Chutz Arts outside of the land of Israel long after we were exiled from this land. In a physical sense, this reinforces the possibility that Sarat was a class of fungal infections. Like other fungal infections, it could strike people, clothes, and buildings almost indiscriminately. It was, in other words, entirely natural. At least, it was entirely natural outside the land of Israel. Here, it became something else entirely. Here, what was natural and normal acquired meaning and purpose. When we look at the tzarat that strikes people, there seems to be a remarkable paradox built into the disease. We read, Kulo hafach levan tahorhu. If you are covered, head to toe, in white, then you are pure. Then, as soon as a patch of healthy skin appears, you are tameh, or impure. How is a disease of impurity that strikes your entire body somehow pure? The answer is simple. Tzarat itself is not impure. Tzarat, before it spreads to the head, beard, or clothes, is consistently associated with the color white. In these parshiots, in these Torah readings, that color is identified as the color of purity. Instead of being a disease or an impurity, perhaps Tzarat is exactly the opposite. Perhaps Tzarat is a spot of purity. Perhaps it is a spot of contrast. Perhaps this is why the Tzarat itself is not called impure. Instead, the person is. The person is impure because he or she is being held up against a higher example and is found to be wanting. This is why they are pure if they are completely covered in sarat. There is no contrast then. There is only purity. There is something else that is remarkable about sarat. It is called enega. We translate the word as a disease, but its first uses in Chumash have a much simpler meaning. It means to touch. Chava is told by the snake that she cannot touch the fruit. Avimelech tells his people that they cannot touch Sarah, and Yaakov's ladder touches the heavens. Read this way, the nega of Tzachat is the touch of Hashem. Through a simple contrast between the pure and the rest of our bodies, Hashem is reminding us of who and what we could be. In Chutzlarts, outside the land, Tzachat is a fungal infection. Here, and only here, it is also the touch of God. What had simply been a cause of suffering outside the land becomes a message from Hashem and a reminder of our higher purpose. Tzarat afflicts the individual. It afflicts a person's home, or their clothes, or their body. But war and terror afflict a nation. Outside the land, war and terror are just that, horrible things that happen sufferings that our people and others endure. Our suffering in exile may have been punishment, but there seemed little for us to learn from our travails. After all, what did Hashem want us to do differently 
when we were fleeing England, Spain, France, or Germany? How were we supposed to change our actions? Perhaps our suffering was only a demonstration of our own powerlessness rather than a guide towards something greater. But here, here it is different. Here we must make it something different. With every loss, with every soldier struck down in battle or killed in training, with every man, woman, or child stabbed in a terrorist attack, there is a lesson. A lesson we can learn from. A lesson that can guide us along a better road. Zarat afflicts the individual. It afflicts a person's home, or their clothes, or their body. But war and terror afflict a nation. When our brothers, sons, and mothers are struck down, our nation is struck by a nega, by a touch of God. And those martyrs who have given up their lives appear on our national flesh as a spot of purity, a spot of contrast, a spot that shows us what we could be. Perhaps this year this is even more true. The world has been struck by a plague. Outside our land, it is simply something that is happening. It is a coronavirus. But here, here it has a message and a purpose. We must make it have a message and a purpose. It must show us a spot of purity. That spot is not just the 112 soldiers and five civilians who have given everything for our people this year. It is not just the thousands who have died from the disease. It is not just the families who survived them. No, it is particularly the tens of thousands who have dedicated their past year to service. Our own community has seen the overwhelming efforts of doctors, nurses, and donors and distributors of tzedakah. They shine as an example to the nation. When the sufferer of tzedakah ends their period of impurity, two birds are taken. One is killed, and the other is dipped in its blood, and then let loose to fly free. As we stand here today, living and free, the message is clear. We could easily have been the bird that dies this year or in years past. Instead, we are the bird that can fly free. But the blood of that other bird remains upon us. It is a reminder, a constant reminder, of the touch of Hashem. Yes, we are blessed with the presence of Hashem, but as Nadav and Aviu and the sufferer of Sarat and those who have lost their lives can tell us, that blessing comes with a responsibility comes with the responsibility to rise up and to live out the full potential of our lives as individuals, as a community, and as a nation. It comes with the responsibility to rise up as Hashem's people. We are about to transition from a day of mourning to a day of joy. We are, God willing, about to transition from a year of plague to a year without plague. We are about to fly free. As we do so, we must remember our freedom comes with a purpose. Those who have lost their lives and those who have sacrificed a year of their lives in service to others remind us of this. We are not simply celebrating freedom itself. No, we are celebrating an opportunity. An opportunity to connect as individuals, as a community, and as a nation with the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We are about to sing Hatikva, a song of hope. Hope is not simply safety or health or wealth. Hope is opportunity. Our hope in this land is the opportunity to be at one with our God. For millennia, our people have prayed for the opportunity we now enjoy. 
it is up to us, as we celebrate our state, to take that opportunity. On behalf of the untold millions who have suffered and died, only dreaming of it. Beyond the speech, I want to share a few other ideas in this Parsha. In particular, I want to share my beliefs on why Tzarat itself afflicts an individual. Let's start with the basics. First, those who suffer from Tzarat are isolated. They are surrounded by others like them. But while isolated, they repeat, I am Tameh, I am Tameh, I'm impure, I am impure. If everybody around them is Tameh, who are they speaking to? They can only be speaking to themselves and to Hashem. Second, when Sarat strikes homes, the Chumash calls out a particular kind of building material, stone. Only one part of the Mishkan is stone, the Luchot, the tablets of stone. Stone implies permanence. We still have ancient stone buildings all around us in the land of Israel. A man or woman with a stone house might imagine themselves more permanent and greater than they actually are. They might forget their own mortality. Third, to be cleansed, you must seek out a Kohen. You can't diagnose yourselves. You are forced to rely on a higher authority, almost like Hebrew National. Fourth, as part of the purification process, their head is shaved and their ears, thumb, and big toes are dipped in blood and oil, just as with the Kohanim. These are the processes by which the individuality of the Levim and the Kohanim are reduced, and their service to God is reinforced. Finally, in addition to all the normal restorative elements, birds are brought at the end of the process. Birds are the korbanots of the offerings of the poor and the humble. If you combine these elements, a picture emerges. Those with sarats are proud, excessively proud, and they are brought low. With sarat, they are brought low, reminded of their limitations, and forced to seek out a higher authority. And through this, they are cleansed. They were Tame because they suffered from exposure to a loss of potential, and they are cleansed. Their potential is unlocked because they have learned to accept their own limitations. They have learned to respect Hashem. Why is Sarat here? Why is it in this Parsha? I believe it is simply a continuation of the story of the Mishkan and Nadav and Aviyu. Nadav and Aviyu showed us that in the presence of the Mishkan, in the presence of Hashem, standards are raised. More is demanded of people. Sarat is part of this. In the presence of Hashem, hubris, which can manifest in many ways, including Lashon Hara, is a special kind of sin. Finally, at the beginning of the reading of Mitzorah, we learn about a woman's period of impurity after birth, after giving birth. In fact, in a foreshadowing of Tzarat itself, her blood is called the blood of purity, not impurity. A woman who has given birth has engaged in such an act of both creation and holiness that she is falling away from great holiness. Her trajectory is moving away from holiness, even though she is in a state of great holiness. Hers is the blood of purity. It is yet another reminder that where we are going can matter more than where we have been. May you have a wonderful Shabbat, and if you're listening to this on Yom Ha'atzma'ut, a blessed Israeli Independence Day. Thank you for listening.